Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, from our gospel reading, at that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Are you listening to the Old Testament background here? It was the Feast of Dedication. Today we call it Hanukkah. It commemorates the rededication of the temple 160 years or so before Christ walked on the earth. At that time, Israel was under the rule of the Greeks, specifically Antiochus IV Epiphanes. His dynastic agenda forced Greek culture into all of his lands. Jewish dietary laws and circumcision were outlawed. The sacrificial system was suspended. In fact, at the height of his brazenness, he erected a statue of Zeus inside the temple at Jerusalem. But God raised up a family, the Maccabees, to resist him. They fought a guerrilla warfare against the Greeks and after a number of years actually forced them out. For a brief period of time, Israel enjoyed political and religious independence. The unholy artifacts were removed from the temple and the priests, along with the temple, were rededicated to Yahweh. But there was a problem. There was not enough oil to light the menorah. You know, the menorah, the seven-candled candelabra. They poured in what sacred oil they had, which amounted to probably enough for maybe one day, and they went ahead and lit it in prayer. And the light did not go out for all eight days of the festival which is why Hanukkah is sometimes called the Festival of Light. So why am I telling you this? Well, the heroics of the Maccabees shaped the expectations of the Jews for a Messiah. The time between the Maccabees and when Jesus came, there were literally hundreds of contenders for the title Messiah, or in Greek, Christ. And here comes Jesus, walking in the colonnade of Solomon, Josephus tells us that that was the only part of the old temple left after the destruction of Nebuchadnezzar. So his presence there creates a direct link back to Solomon and to David, the shepherd king. This was, of course, Jesus is not his first visit to the temple. In John's gospel, that's chapter 2, with a whip of cords and a scattering of coins, with the sound of uproar and confusion, and that startling and challenging prophecy. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And it was winter. Are you listening to the Jews? There's actually a two-month gap between verse 21 and verse 22 in John 10. But because our text speaks of my sheep, we naturally think of it as more of the Good Shepherd discourse, and, and it is. But for two months, the division among them that John noted in verse 19 has festered. He's a demon. He's insane. Don't listen to this guy. Well, these are not the words of a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So the argument went on. All of this is the backdrop of David and Solomon and the success of Judas Maccabees and the royal presence, the Roman presence. Verse 24, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. The original Greek here is a little different, a little more racy. Until when will you hold up our soul or our very lives? 
Come on, Jesus. Answer the question, yes or no. Court, could you please instruct the witness to answer a yes or no question? Lenski comments that uh, Jesus' response is a perfect masterstroke. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Well, what works do a shepherd perform anyway? Well, chapter 6. Jesus took the loaves, and having given thanks, distributed to those who were seated along with the fish. When they'd eaten their fill, he told the disciples, quote, gather up the leftover fragments so nothing will be lost. Right? Twelve baskets, 5,000 men, plus women and children. The work of a shepherd. Feed the sheep. Or chapter 9. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Not the man or his parents, Jesus says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So he spit, made mud, the man washed, and he saw the work of a shepherd to care for, to heal the sheep. Are you listening to the shepherd? There's actually another Old Testament text in the background here. That's Ezekiel 34. The first 10 verses of that chapter are a scathing diatribe against the shepherds of Israel, against the political and the religious leaders. Yahweh calls them out for leaving his people as prey, even preying on them themselves. You eat the fat and clothe yourself with wool, verse 3. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, verse 4. Therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I, I myself will search for my fleet sheep and will seek them out, verse 11. I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, verse 20. And then, verse 23, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. The eschatological, the end times fruit is described at the end of the chapter. But is God the shepherd or is David? Well, yes. Are you listening to the shepherd? That's the soul-searching challenge of verse 27 in our text. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Yes, you are baptized. Yes, you are here in the divine service, hearing his word proclaimed to you. But it remains a life or death issue. The implied danger of verses 28 and 29 can be frightening. There are many who would snatch us out of the shepherd's hand, snatch, seize, overthrow, mislead, entice away. Legion are the dangers. Paul captures it well in Ephesians 6 when he writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. These are the special forces seeking the demise of God's saints, the devil and his minions, that roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We cannot be too well prepared. The Hibernia oil platform in the North Atlantic is 189 miles east-southeast of St. John's, Newfoundland, out on the Grand Banks. It's a fixed structure. It stands in 264 feet of water. It rises to almost twice that height above the North Atlantic in an area that the scientists refer to as Iceberg Alley. 
The icebergs that ply these waters are as large as ocean liners. It has 16 big star-shaped concrete teeth surrounding the platform, surrounding the base that it stands on. And it distributes the force of an iceberg into the entire structure and into the seabed itself. It's built to withstand a 1 million ton iceberg, predictably a 500-year event. But as designers claim, it could withstand one six times that size with repairable damage, a 10,000-year event. But even with all that protection, Hibernia's operators take no chances. They plot and monitor all the icebergs within 27 miles. And if any of them get too close, they, they literally go out and lasso it and pull it away with powerful supply ships. The smaller ones that I divert with high-pressure cannons and prop wash, as rugged and as strong as this platform is, and as prepared as it is for an iceberg to strike it, the operators of Hibernia will never allow icebergs to even come close. Procedures are in place to ensure that all the safety devices never get used. Christians need to take spiritual threats just as seriously. Paul goes on in Ephesians 6 to describe that spiritual armor, I'm sure we all remember, by which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. A little incongruous with the shepherd talk, right, of John 10? But when we're listening to the shepherd, he is there, close at hand, to defend us. But I have another question for you. Are you listening to yourself, to your heart? Well, and that can be a risky business. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The dangers from without are there, but the dangers from within are even more persistent. They're a 24-7 adversary that must be battled. The ancient church father Cyprian described it this way, and I'm paraphrasing freely. Just as we get control of whatever sin is plaguing us, say greed, then lust springs up. And once we get lust under control, ambition takes over. And if we can keep ambition down to a dull roar, we still have to contend with anger, which, of course, becomes exasperated over the slightest thing. And even if we can keep our tempers from flaring, pride is right there to take its place, not to mention jealousy and more lust and greed, and the cycle goes on and on. This is what the soul goes through every day, he writes. And it takes its toll. And yet this is where we want to be, in the battle. So far, Cyprian, left to ourselves, we will fail. We will be seized by devils from without or succumb to shifting sentiment from within. Now, more than ever, are you listening to the shepherd? It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Jesus came down and walked in the winter of our lives, in the struggles, in the dangers, in the fears, in the trials, as we confess, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He didn't come down to see how the little people were doing. He didn't come to meet his public. He came to take all our sin upon himself, to lay down his life as a ransom for many. He was crucified also under Pontius Pilate, and through his death, you are forgiven. 
as the Good Shepherd declares. Verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. He rose to rule victorious into all eternity. As the elder describes in our epistle reading, right? For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the Christ, the Messiah, who walked in the colonnade of Solomon. He came in order that he might shepherd us into eternal life. Are you listening? Are you listening to a world so desperately in need of a shepherd, of a savior? You have the most precious gift available, redemption, gift to be shared. The blood of Jesus is more enduring than the sacred oil of that first Hanukkah. It lasts not eight days, it lasts into eternity. The blood of Jesus flows that every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages can stand before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, as John describes. We are witness of these things. Are you listening? Are you speaking? The Good Shepherd calls us to feed, to heal, to redeem, to shepherd us into eternal life. Amen. Now may the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.